This morning, God is providing for us something awesome because he is an amazing provider, isn't he? But he's offering us a key to breakthrough, to breakthrough in our battles. I don't know if all of y'all are feeling the way I am some days, but you feel like you've been fighting the same battle forever. Feels like there's no end. It feels like you've lost, you know. <sighs> Discouragement tends to set in. The enemy tends to just tell you, well, this is just God's plan for you, or, you know, you just screwed up, and this is God's punishment. And the enemy speaks all kinds of lies like that. Like, this is just your lot, you know, just, you know, God's going to do something through this. You just need to embrace and accept this, you know, and uh, all kinds of weird, sneaky lies. He is a great deceiver. But the key to breakthrough, Psalm 22.3 teaches us that God inhabits or is enthroned, depending which translation you uh, read, on the praise of his people. He inhabits or he is enthroned on the praise of us, his people. Whatever we're going through, when we lift our voices up in prayer and praise to God, we bring God's presence into the situation. It's so cool to think about. When you're lifting up praise and you're worshiping God, you are like building a throne and inviting him to come. And he will come. He will come. And when we praise God, we are simultaneously, because you can't help but do this. When you praise God, you are simultaneously praising him and casting off fear, casting off worry, casting off anxiety and depression and oppression. You're casting it all off because your eyes are fixed on him. And you're seeing who he is and who you are in him. Because you are not who the enemy says you are. You are so much more. So, so much more. And when we do that, God's peace and joy and strength can come rushing in to replace everything that we just cast off. Worship is our worship. You need to think about this a little differently. It is a vessel through which we endure battles in life and get through them victoriously every single time. Worship is a safe, because worship prepares the presence of God and invites the presence of God, worship actually becomes a refuge, a safe place in the heat of the battle. The safe place that we can come running into. Worship is our worship. Think about some of the, the different times, and this is just a, a short list, an example of the times that worship won battles for the Lord. Think about how it invites the presence. It, it invites not only the presence of God, but the prophetic presence of God to give you direction and wisdom and how to fight well. Elisha. Whenever he needed to hear God's voice, what did he do? He called for a skilled harpist. He was irritated, he was bitter, he was just in a bad mood. But he needed to hear God. So what did he do? He surrounded himself with worship, and then the Lord spoke. Jehoshaphat, he actually literally sent worshipers first into battle, and because of that, they never had to fight. The Lord fought for them and defeated their enemy. Jericho's walls, how did they fall? 
a great shout, a unanimous shout of God's people on the seventh day, right? Gideon, he won the war, what with a trumpet blast and with a great shout to the Lord. And I mean, I could just go on and on and on. When God's people come together and lift up their voices in praise to God, it's powerful. I mean, it's powerful when we just individually do it. But when we come together corporately, why do you think it's so hard to get your butt up and ready for church in the morning? Why do you think it's such a struggle and a battle and a fight? Because somebody doesn't want you to do it, right? When the enemy comes on strong... When the troubles of this world just overwhelm us. Jesus said you'd have troubles in this world. When they start to overwhelm us, when we lift our voices up in praise, we are lifting up a battle cry, right? And I love this name of God. This name of God. The Lord is our banner. Because in Psalm 60, that's exactly what it teaches us. When we lift up our voices in praise... God raises a standard or raises a banner. God raises the banner. Then the Lord takes on our battles. The battle is his. And I don't know about you all, but when I read through the Bible cover to cover, for thousands and thousands of years, God has never once yet lost a battle. Did you notice that? Never once has he lost May have looked like he lost, but he never once lost. He was victorious every single time. And of course, we know these truths. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where the presence of the Lord is, there is victory. There is victory. And so when we worship, we're inviting the presence of God into our situation, into our circumstance. When we worship, we're inviting a victory to our battles. Whatever the circumstances may be. Now, that doesn't mean that you're never going to experience difficult times, right? There's no victory without a battle. There's no miracle without an impossibility. If you have no hope and no answer, there's nothing you can do to change your situation. You've tried and exhausted every option. (laughs) Maybe it's time to turn to the Lord because he's like, okay, now I'm ready. Because when it happens, everyone has to give testimony that it had to be God. There was no other way, right? No other way. This was a miracle, a genuine miracle. So it doesn't mean that there's not going to be difficult times. It doesn't mean there won't be times when we feel like failures. When we feel like we've blown it. And maybe you did blow it. (laughs) When it feels like it's over, the battle is lost. There's no coming back from this. It doesn't mean that it won't look like a complete loss from worldly standards. I I mean, think about the cross. Jesus wasn't only crucified, he was put in the grave for days. From all worldly standards, it was done, over with, lost, right? But then the third day came, didn't it? God always has the final word. And there is nothing that his spirit cannot do. He can even raise Christ from the grave. And that same spirit of power, that same authority that was given to Jesus was given to us as well. We have access to that same power and authority. So we should never be victims, right? We should always fix our eyes on Christ, realizing that we are heading to a victory. 
We are victors through Christ. There's nothing that can stand against us. It means that if we remain ever faithful to God and keep seeking after him, it's going to end in a victory. It will end in a victory no matter what. In fact, the greater the theft of the enemy, the greater the restoration that is coming, right? Think about Job, all that he had lost. He lost everything that was near and dear to him. In fact, Job 1 starts out teaching us Job was the greatest man in the Eastern world, and he lost it all. The only thing that God did not allow the enemy to steal from Job was his life. You better believe Satan took every inch that God permitted him to have, tormented this man, took his health, took his family, took his possessions, took everything. But then you skip ahead through all those years of torment and you get to the last chapter when God steps in and speaks up and says, who are you, Job? Were you there? Were you there when this is this, this, that, you know? And what does God do? He restores twice, double what the enemy had stolen. It's not over yet if God hasn't stepped in and restored everything that the enemy has stolen and even better. That means everything that the devil steals from you, that should just give you more of a reason to praise because it's coming. Everything that's been stolen is coming back to you because God is our restorer. And God has promised to reward everyone who diligently seeks him. It's his word. He has promised to do that. So we're going to turn, if you want to turn ahead of me here, to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We're going to go through this, and this account where God's people were opposed God's people suffered greatly, but they experienced a great victory in the end of it all simply because they responded in praise. And there are way too many accounts of this throughout the Bible, but I just love this one in Acts 16. Love it. So in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16, we read that once, and this is um, the, the author of Acts, I think it's Luke, but we don't know for sure. We can debate that and argue that. No one knows for certain. But uh, the author of Acts wrote that once we were going to a place of prayer. If you'll find out who we is, context. Go back further in, in Acts chapter 16 and figure out who the we were. But once we were going to a place of prayer, and we were met there by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. And of course, this is still a, um, a very common practice today. Uh, throughout my trips, I couldn't believe how many different fortune-telling and tarot-reading um, you know, places there are and how there was always cars there. You know, People were wanting to know what the future is. They want some kind of hope, and, and they're turning to the enemy for it. What was the, back in the 90s, there was this, this big black woman who was always, you know, you had to call in the 800 number and she'd tell you, what was her name? Cleo. Cleo? Yeah, I think that was, yeah. Yeah, anyways, yeah, that, that was huge and she got shut down for some reason. But anyways, but what blew me away, 
I was, you know, I was reading through, praying about what to talk about, you know, this week, and, and God stopped me. He's like, no, 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 no. Acts 16, 16, 16, 16. And so I'm like, okay, whatever. So I pulled up Blue Letter Bible, and I went back to the, the original Greek, and it blew me away how much we miss in this single verse. Far more information than what is translated into most of our Bible translations that we read. Um, I just read from the New International Version, by the way. Um, but if we miss what this verse is stating, then we miss the context for the rest of what happens. And most of us are familiar with what happens in this story. But we miss what the people living it knew. And it gives you context for everything that follows. In the original Greek, this young girl possessed a spirit. The Greek word that is used here is the word echo. Anybody ever hear that word? If, if you're into movies, there's some movies coming out that you're going to actually see this spiritually play out in a real spiritual sense. Um, uh, the, the spirit of echo you know, comes in. But this, this caught my attention because I'm like, well, that ain't right. Someone who's possessed by a spirit, that's not the word echo. But this is the word that's used here. And what the word echo means, it meant that not that she was possessed by a spirit, but that she possessed a spirit. It's a very simple word. It just means you possess something. You, you own something. It's yours. It's used all through the Bible. All, all through the New Testament, I should say. Very simple word. But she possessed a spirit. The spirit didn't possess her. She, the spirit didn't have her. She had the spirit. Let's hear it. <laughs> we're provided no backstory about how this happened i have no idea how this can happen but in 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 some way she possessed the spirit um any other time when you read through the new testament and you look all through jesus's ministry and the ministry of the early church demon possession was common they were casting out demons all the time right the spirit commonly would possess a person, torment them. It would cause sickness or disease or physically harm them and some kind of torment against the person's will. And that, that, that kind of spiritual possession is from the Greek word in those cases, and I can't pronounce it right because I forgot it after I listened to it, but it's a diamonizame. But the Greek word is literally under the power of a spirit, under the power of a demon. This is against the person's will. It possesses them. It controls them. It forces them into whatever. But that's not the word that's used here in this instance. It's very interesting. That's, that's significant. This girl somehow controls the spirit and uses it to tell the future. She just taps into the spirit anytime she wants a prophetic word and it, it gives it to her. There's some kind of mutually beneficial agreement of some sort. It's, it's sort of like what, what it reminded me of when I was praying about it is how like some parasites and hosts, you know, even though it's a parasite and it's not good, there's some kind of benefit. There's some kind of mutual benefit between these two things. And that's the kind of nasty thing that I saw this spiritual connection being. Anyways, nasty stuff. We'll continue on to the good stuff here. <laughs> but their connection was spiritual. In the Greek, we were also given the spirit's name. Python. Now, why most English translations just throw that out, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why they throw that out. It didn't make sense to me. Most English translations just say that it was an evil spirit. 
or is a spirit of divination, or a spirit that could predict the future, which is what the NIV did. However, if you look at Young's literal translation, the Darby translation, the Jubilee translation, and there's several others, um, they translate it and say what the Greek actually says, that it is a spirit named Python. She, she possessed this spirit named Python, and it's interesting. It's kind of creepy to think about, but this is significant. For any of you people who are familiar with your Greek mythology, this wasn't just a spirit. This was a Greek god. This was the Greek god of prophecy. A Greek god of prophecy. It was a giant serpent-headed dragon born to Gaia, the Greek goddess of the earth. Python. I'm reading this off because I don't know my Greek mythology that well, but they didn't call it mythology back then. These were their gods. They worshipped them. In fact, most towns had a god, you know, or some kind of deity that they worshipped. They had their own household gods. that they. Anyways, go on and on and on. But they, they were very familiar with this spirit. This was not new to them. This is why they sought her out. This is why they paid her lots of money to hear from the spirit of Python, this prophetic spirit. Um, Python lived in the cave of Mount Parnassus called Delphi, which was a location of very great importance because it was the location of a prophetic stone that told of the entire future. The primary role of Python was to protect this stone. However, it was said that Python also, and this was what they believed the stone looked like, by the way, um, shared some of the oracles, the prophetic oracles of this stone with the Greek Olympian gods. Eventually, the Olympian gods learned about these prophecies, and they wanted to have it for themselves. I don't want to go to Python. I want to know everything, right? We get hungry, hungry for knowledge and wisdom, and we want to know what our future holds. And so Apollos killed Python, took control of the prophetic stone, and set up oracles and priestesses who served, and they were known as the Pythia. We're all aware of the Olympic Games, right? You guys know? Um, I, I forget the, the tone. I, I'm thinking the NFL tone in my head. But we, we know the Olympic Games, right? Every four years, worldwide, they, they happen. They, they're, they're, they were part of a religious festival that honored the Greek god Zeus at Olympia. They're, they're based on, you know, this very thing, and we still practice them today. However, there were also, number one was the Olympic Games of importance to the Greeks. Number two were these games known as the Pythian Games, and that's where they were celebrated. That was just as, as big as the Olympics, you know, to the Greek uh, culture. They were celebrated also every four years. And just last year, they were reinstituted. Just last year. They revived 92 countries participated in the Pythian Games. While the Olympic Games feature athleticism, the Pythian Games feature art, literature, music, and theater. And they are to serve and to honor the god Apollos. The Olympic Games are for honoring Olympus. The Pythian Games are to honor Apollos. Music and the arts that honor and accompany prophecy. Because you see, these, these Pythian Games that were just reinstituted last year, 92 countries participated, these things are happening. They are to bring unity to the nations, you know? And they are prophetically calling us back. So it's just... Uh, the Bible repeats itself. Nothing's new under the sun. But why is all this important? There's a whole lot of history and backstory and everything. Because as we continue reading verse 17 on, this is what everybody knew that we didn't know when you read through it originally. It just gives you context for, for interpreting the rest of what takes place here. So we go back now to, um, to this, this servant girl, this young girl who had this spirit of python 
through which she could predict the future. And verse 17 says, she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men, they're servants of the Most High God, and they're telling you the way to be saved. And it says she kept this up for many days. And this always just made me scratch my head. If this is an evil spirit, why in the world is it trying to get people saved? This makes no sense, you know? Made absolutely no sense at all without that backstory. It says she kept this for many, many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that very moment, Python left her. Every name, every name submits to the name of Jesus. But it's interesting here because she was speaking truth right? They were servants of the God Most High. This evil spirit was speaking truth. It was essentially prophesying, and they were, they were telling you the way to be saved. It's just interesting. And I think that especially in our world today, and what is happening in the world today, and especially with what they call deep fakes and artificial intelligence and everything, you can't believe anything you see, hear, or whatever, perceive. You can't trust your own five senses. Because they all can be manufactured at this point. All five of our senses. It's not just enough to hear or even to speak truth. It's just as important to consider the source of where this truth is coming from. So critically important in this culture that we're living in. In Matthew chapter 4, when the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness, the Spirit led Jesus out to be tempted by who? The devil himself. Matthew chapter 4, check it out. How did the devil tempt Jesus? He just quoted scripture, right? Bible says this. That's all he did, right? He spoke truth. And his temptation to Jesus was just to act out truth. The Bible says this, so do it. I mean, literally, that's it. Satan spoke truth, Jesus heard truth. But consider the source of truth. Consider the motive of that source that is sharing the truth. What is the motive behind that person? Or that news organization, or that whatever. The motive. The devil is sharing scripture, but with a perverted motive, trying to get Jesus to essentially sin. To fulfill his destiny, but to do it in a way that was not led by his father. Everything that Satan tempted, that the devil tempted Jesus to do was to fulfill his destiny, but not in the way that his father had laid out, right? Keep this in mind when you hear modern teachers and preachers and prophets and apostles and evangelists and whatever else they call themselves to be. Just keep this in mind. Just because it's biblical truth doesn't make it biblical and true. And I know that sounds like double talk, but prayerfully the Spirit is giving you discernment and you're understanding what I'm saying. Just because they're quoting the Bible, just because they're speaking truth, doesn't make it biblical and true necessarily. Consider the source. Consider their motives. That's why, what did, what did the Father give us if we ask him? The Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit within you. And we are told to test all prophecy. Hold on to what's good. Even false prophets get it right sometimes, right? 
Hold on to what's good, but get rid of what's evil. Because you've got the spirit of truth within you. And it will testify to truth. You will know what is true and what is just like, this just doesn't seem right. Doesn't sound right. And we're going to continue on into that theme as well. This young girl was speaking truth. In fact, she's sort of prophesying, but consider the source. It was an evil spirit. Why was she sharing this truth? Maybe she's trying to ride the waves of their success, right? So she could become more profitable. Because she was saying, these men are telling you the way to be saved. And so she was just, you know, kind of riding the waves of their success to make more money. Maybe it was to associate Python with the Most High God. To sort of couple the two so that, you know, they would come to her as well as to them. Um, whatever the case, and I could go on and on and speculate, we know that she was not, <laughs> she did not have the motive of really loving and caring about people and wanting them to be saved. We know that wasn't her motive. Her motive was money. We'll find out pretty quickly that that's the case. But think about this. Have you ever had someone around you and they don't necessarily say anything wrong. They don't necessarily do anything wrong. You can't look at worldly standards and pin something on them and be like, this, this was wrong, you know? What they did or what they said was wrong. In fact, they seem to always say and do all the right things, but yet something just doesn't seem right in your spirit. Something just doesn't settle right with you, you know? It, it, it's like they're, they're not who they're acting like they are. But they never did anything to pin on them that they weren't who they said that they are. You know what I mean? Something just doesn't settle well in your own spirit. It kind of, we say it rubs you the wrong way. They just kind of rub me the wrong way. And every time that they prophesy and every time that they're worshiping, it just, something doesn't seem genuine. Something seems off. I mean, it's kind of what was happening here. She was speaking truth. It was free publicity. I mean, come on. She's telling everyone, come and listen to these guys. They, they're going to tell you how to get saved, you know. But something just annoyed Paul. Something within him annoyed him, and he just, he, he knew why. In either case, Paul discerned the spirit of Python within her. He either discerned it, or he just knew it because the people there knew it. Either way, it annoyed him to the fact that for days and days, he tolerated it, he tolerated it. Finally, he couldn't put up with it, with it you know, enough with it, and he just said, get out of here in Jesus' name, and it left. Cast that spirit right out of her. Now, I don't recommend ministering from a source of annoyance, okay? <laughs> but it did work, didn't it? You know, it did work. We're supposed to deliver people, not because they annoy us, and we just are sick and tired of that spirit. And I'm going to give you a deep teaching here soon that Jesus gave us to, so that you understand why you don't want to minister in this way. But Paul did it. We're supposed to deliver people because we love them. We want to see them set free. And here's the key. And this is the hardest part of all of this. And they also want to be set free. You can cast out a demon of somebody from somebody because it's going to submit to your authority in Jesus' name. But if that person doesn't want to be delivered, listen to what Jesus said. Because there are consequences. Consequences to everything we do. Blessing and cursing. Good and bad. When you make a choice, you receive the consequences. You create a cause, you receive the effect. It's just the way God created this world. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 24 to 28, he taught when an impure spirit 
python in this case, comes out of a person, and it left her. It goes through the arid places seeking rest. And if it doesn't find it, it says, I'll return to the house that I left. Right? Things are pretty good back here. I'm going to head back home. When it arrives, it may find the house swept clean and put in order. Isn't that what religion wants to do? The goal of religion is so that you look good. Your house is clean and swept and put in order. But you're missing something. Change in the kingdom of God does not happen from the outside in. You don't stop drinking, stop smoking, stop cursing, stop whatever else sinning is unacceptable among those people, right? And then you're good and acceptable by God. That's not how kingdom change happens. Kingdom change happens from the inside out. You receive the spirit of the living God, and he cleans up your house. Religion versus freedom. And I'm telling you, this, Jesus taught this for this very purpose. Because if you get saved by religion standards and you clean up your act, life's looking good for a while. And then what happens? In verse 26, when that spirit comes back and it finds the house sweet and clept in order, it goes again, only this time it gathers up seven other spirits, even more wicked than itself. Then they all go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. You did not do that person any favors, right? They would have been better if you just left them alone with that one spirit without seven others that are worse than it. And this isn't like some kind of New Age Pentecostal, I'm coming up with something. This is just what Jesus taught us. This is what happens. That's why deliverance ministry requires more than just casting out spirits. It is fun when you see demons flee when you speak the name of Jesus. But you're not doing that person any help or benefit unless they receive Christ's salvation. They're delivered because they want to be delivered. And they receive the Spirit of God. They receive the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God, what, what we do by religious standards is we clean out our house and we look good. But we're empty. What the Spirit does is it fill, He fills us and as we together clean up our house he inhabits those places until we are whole and complete and mature and lacking nothing but he never leaves a void the holy spirit never leaves a void the enemy is looking for a void to fill and that's what religion does. It creates a bunch of empty people who put on masks and look a certain way. You put on a Christian costume and you're acceptable by people. But man, do the spirits know who you are. And they love those empty houses. <sighs> Deliverance ministry requires discipleship so that we are filled with the spirit of God as we are delivered. As Jesus was still teaching about deliverance, something interesting happens in verse 27. Some woman just calls out from the crowd. Doesn't this sound a little familiar to a story we just read? She cries out. She said, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Similar to the way the young girl is calling out following Paul and Silas, right? 
In fact, she, th this must have been the first Catholic before even Peter because she's, she's given some Hail Marys here, right? Blessed. Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you, right? Jesus replied in correction, and he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. That's where blessings come from. If we want to be blessed, blessings do not come from sharing something on social media. You're not going to hell because you didn't share something. I laugh every time I scroll right past those. If you scroll past here, you know, you're giving honor to the devil, whatever. <laughs> Keep on scrolling. It's, it's like, the wheel, it's, it's like the, the wheel on the price is right at that point. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not going to believe that lie. I'm going to send that thing right where it came from. <coughs> if we want God's blessings, they won't come from saying a certain number of Hail Marys. I mean, Jesus kind of corrected this right here, right now. Blessing from God only comes from knowing and obeying his word. His word. <laughs> the living word. By the living spirit of God within you. Now we turn back to this young woman. Sorry, I know I went through a whole lot of sideways teaching here, but it's good stuff. Back to this woman who had been set free from the spirit of Python. It said, when her owners realized that all their hopes of hitting it big and getting rich were gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar. They're advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. If you've ever heard the expression that no, no good deed goes unpunished, well, this is kind of what's happening right here. It's an example of it. But also, remember what Jesus taught about an impure spirit. What's the first thing the spirit does whenever it is driven out of a person? It goes through those dry and arid places. It's looking for anyone and anything it can influence. And man, the spirit of Python had grabbed a hold of these crowds, as we're going to see here shortly. The crowd joined in their attack. The crowd had no idea what was happening. They weren't there. They didn't observe this. But there was an influence that was happening at a, in a spiritual level. I can't explain it, but it was what was happening. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates. Magistrates ordered them to be stripped. That means they were naked. To be beaten with rods. And after they'd been severely flogged, they were then thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. I mean, this is severe for what they're being accused of. That spirit didn't like being cast out of that girl. And so they were going to, it was going to deal with it in every way that it could. December 24, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet even in stocks. So how did Paul and Silas respond to their embarrassment? In public, they were stripped nude. They were beaten and flogged and tormented and mistreated. How are they going to respond to that? In verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them as well. And just so you know, they weren't singing any hymns or written in ear hymnals. Those were written, you know, many centuries later. But just giving some context here. But what I love is not only how they responded to their persecution, 
I'd be pretty fired up and furious, right? I mean, they're sitting there bloody in the dark, shackled up, and they didn't do anything wrong. But they chose to pray and praise. But what I love more is how God responded to their prayers and worship. In verse 26, suddenly, catch these two phrases, about midnight. Don't you wish God would step in earlier, before your pain, before your torment? I'm sure Billy's there, right? Come on, God. But at about the midnight hour, suddenly, God steps in. God's perspective. It's always suddenly to him, but man, does it feel like decades to us, right? Sometimes it is decades to us, but God steps in at just the right time and just the right way. Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, oh my, I'm sorry, I lost my own place because of suddenly. Suddenly, there is such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, suddenly and at once, all the prison doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. Woo, your salvation is not just for you. There are people around you that are watching and listening. And think about this, we'll go on here. But when we lift our voices in prayer and worship, things change. Even at this midnight hour, God can suddenly change things. Worship is worship. It's warfare. It's a battle. When we give praise and honor and glory to God, when we lift up our voices, because that's what Paul and Silas were doing. It wasn't in their hearts. It wasn't in their minds. Their mouths were open. They were shouting and declaring and proclaiming. They were praying, right? How do we know this? Because all the other prisoners heard them. Right? Lift their voices in worship. Whew. When we do that, we're declaring war on the devil and his demons and every evil spirit who hates God. And there is no competition between our God and even the devil himself, is there? No. He, he was created by God. There's no competition. Woo. Python may have annoyed Paul. Python may have had Paul and Silas stripped and beaten with rods and flogged severely and thrown in prison. But God always has the final word. He always has the final say. And no matter how bad things may get for us, God declares it's always going to end in a victory. In an even greater glory. We're going from glory to glory. So whenever you find yourself fondly thinking back to your last experience and encounter with God, let it create a hunger within you for what is yet to come. Let it raise hope and expectation that a greater glory is about to come. Your next encounter is on its way, right? Woo, I love it. Prayer, praise, they are worship. That's why we can lift our voices, right, in prayer and in praise. Even when we're naked, bleeding, bruised, hanging in chains in prison, even when we're wrongfully accused, we always have reason for praise no matter what our circumstances are. Because praise sets captives free. Even when that captive is ourself. <laughs> sets us free. Today is a day of our salvation. That's what the word declares. Today is always a day of our salvation. And every single day we have reason to wake up and have great expectation once again. 
to expect great things from our unbelievable God. In fact, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 to 24 tells that. It's because of his mercy and his loving kindness that we're not consumed. Because his tender compassion never fails. His tender compassions are new every morning. Great and abundant is his stability and his faithfulness. The Lord's our portion. He is our share. Everything in my inner self and living being waits in hope for him and waits expectantly for him to move. So every single day we have reason to praise. And in verse 27, then we see that the jailer woke up. You got an earthquake. You got chains coming loose. This is noisy. You thought Paul and Silas's praise was noisy? God's response was even greater. Think about that. It's so awesome. God was so excited about their praise that he shook the foundations of that jail. He just set them all free. Woo! We have an influence on God. You can, hear, you can trust me, you can make him angry and irate. And that's what the enemy wants you focusing on, the God that throws thunderbolts, right? But you can also give praise when there's no worldly, earthly reason for praise. And man, do you shake the heavens. You can get God excited. Excited. Jailer woke up. He saw the prison doors open. So he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He thought that all the prisoners had escaped. Now he was about to do that to avoid the torture that the Roman government would have executed on him for having failed to guard these prisoners, especially Paul and Silas. So Paul shouted quickly, don't harm yourself, we're all here, we are all here. So the jailer called for lights, and there wasn't electricity back then. Literally they had to bring some oil burning, you know, lamps and bring them all in. He rushed in, he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he said, sirs, what do I need to do to be saved? Who would have ever thought that the one person in a prison full of inmates, the one person that needed set free was actually the jailer himself. That's who God was wanting to save and to reach. Salvation and true freedom was about to come to this jailer, his entire household. In fact, in verse 31, they replied, just believe in Jesus. You'll be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the other people at his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Immediately, all, him and all of his family were water baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. The enemy sets a meal before you in the presence of your enemy. I just love it. He was filled with joy. Because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Whew. All through the night this is happening. All through the night. This started at midnight. That's a good church service, right? Started at midnight. It's going all through the night. There's water baptisms in the wee hours in the morning. Whew. When daylight came, in verse 35, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The magistrates have no idea what happened. But something happened in the middle of the night that caused them to change their heart and to change their mind toward Paul and Silas. They were set free. 
I, I never really thought about that before, you know. They had no idea what had happened. They still had no idea what had happened, or they'd be furious. They would not be ordering their release. So cool. And then we, uh, we continue on here because it, it gets even, even better. Um, sorry, I, I keep my phone. I just keep scrolling. <sighs> so the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. So you can leave now and, and go and go in peace. So not only did God set Paul and Silas and all those inmates free physically from that prison... Not only did God set the jailer and his whole household free spiritually, but God also set them legally free from their sentence. All these miracles all took place all at the same time. Because when God moves, there is nothing he cannot move. There's nothing he cannot do, right? But here we find another, and I plan on just ending it here. But God's like, no, 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 no. The whole counsel of the word of God we find an instance of something that you rarely find in the New Testament. There was a demand for worldly justice as well. Paul said to the officers in verse 37, you know what? They beat us publicly and without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. They threw us into prison. And now they just want to get rid of us quietly? No! Let them come themselves and escort us out. So the officers reported this back to the magistrates. And when the magistrates heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and to, and to escort them out from the city themselves. And they requested that they just leave the city. God produced even worldly justice. And this is sort of like a, a, a Haman and Mordecai type uh, justice. God switched the role of public accuser and the enemy of God's people to be forced to be the public defenders and to honor God's people publicly before everyone. They just beat them yesterday and they're honoring them today. So think about what's coming your way when God steps in. Wow. Yesterday may have been pretty rough. This morning may have been pretty rough for you. Just think about Jesus, it's Friday. Whew. Just yesterday, Paul and Silas were stripped, beaten with rods, flogged, severely thrown into prison. Today, they were being escorted out of jail publicly in front of everyone, being honored and glorified. And by doing so, what they were really honoring was Jesus himself, the one who sets us free the one who is mighty to save, through whom nothing is too hard for. Just think about your hard day and think about Jesus's three days later. It's coming. It's coming. It's going to come suddenly. It's going to come quickly. It's going to come completely. It's another thing I'm tired of the enemy doing. Setting us free just to be bound again a few days later. That's not God I know. It's time for God's people to walk in freedom and complete freedom. And so we don't wait for the fulfillment to give God praise, right? We praise God right in the middle of it, right in the worst of it. Right in the worst of our misery, we lift up voices of praise because he is still on the throne. He still has the final say. Our victory is still on its way, right? Every one of his promises are yes and amen still today. 
And every single day you wake up, his love, his mercy, his grace, they're all new. Today's the day of your salvation, right? So let's, we've talked about it. I preached about it. You've heard about it. Let's give God some praise this morning. Amen. Woo, yes. 